1 Samuel 21 and 22. Um, please stand for the reading of scripture. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you, and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day eighty-five persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. You may be seated. <clears throat> Does the reality of suffering surprise you? <clears throat> The reality of suffering surprise you. Um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, with the withdrawal of, of our troops from Afghanistan, uh, there has been a resurgence of, of Taliban um, going from door to door and house for house looking for um, people who uh, helped out the Americans and, and the Westerners, people who would interpret for us or uh, would work for us in, in any way. And, and so uh, the Taliban is going to them and, and they, are, they are murdering them. And, 
And, and along this, we're, we're also seeing reports or hearing reports that um, they are targeting uh, Christians, uh, that they are intentionally uh, looking for people who will confess the name of Christ and they are uh, murdering them. Does the reality of, of, of suffering, does it surprise you? And I'm not talking about suffering in terms of just general the human condition. I'm not talking about suffering as, as far as just things that we, we face on a day-in, day-out basis just because we live in a fallen or broken world. I'm talking about suffering as it directly relates to intentionally following Jesus Christ. That if you and I were to say that we submit to the reign and rule of Jesus over our lives and that we will come underneath that reign and rule and that we will obey him and that we will serve him and that we will follow him, do, do you understand the reality of that? is, in fact, suffering. And you don't have to go to Afghanistan in order to experience that. You know, um, there are a lot of, of churches uh, in, in our own country who would teach something different and, and who would, would teach that uh, you don't need to pick up your cross and follow Jesus because Jesus has picked up the cross for you. Uh, you don't need to suffer that instead you can find prosperity, that you can find uh, blessing, that you can find ease, that, that if you will, will follow Jesus and the result for you will that you will be happy and healthy and wealthy and wise. And the reality is, is that not, is not what Scripture proclaims to us. Uh, in uh, Luke chapter 24, there's a couple of, of followers of Jesus. And they are, uh, uh, this is the Sunday after Jesus' death, and they're leaving Jerusalem and they're walking to a, a place called Emmaus. And it's about a seven mile trek. And as they're walking down this road, they begin to talk about the things that they've, they've experienced over the course of this last weekend. And the resurrected Christ, Jesus, begins to walk with them. But they don't know it's him. And he begins to ask them, what are you guys talking about? And they say, well, where have you been? Have you not heard about what's happened here? See, see there was the one this man, we believed he was the one. We believed in him and we trusted him and we followed him and we thought that he was going to save Israel and instead he's killed. And on top of that, we find out this morning that, that the tomb that they place his body in, it's, it's empty and we don't know what to do with that. And Jesus says this to them in verses 25 and 26. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer? should suffer these things and enter into his glory. He goes on in verse 27, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. So there they are on this seven mile walk to Emmaus and Jesus opens up the scriptures to them and he begins to explain to them not only how the Messiah would come but also the suffering of the Messiah, suffering before glory. Peter would say something similar in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. He writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Subsequent glories. Suffering precedes glory. See, it is... It is hard for us to come to the scriptures and, and, and have an honest reading, especially of the New Testament, and walk away believing that, that, that suffering is not a part of our story if we are going to follow Jesus. In fact, Peter, again, in, in 1 Peter 4 says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial. For us as Christians, if we are to follow Jesus, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. 
Do not be surprised. It's to be expected. Paul takes it one step further. And he says, rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice, he says. So this morning, we are in 1 Samuel 21, 22, and 23. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're walking uh, through this book. Um, we have a, a few more weeks to go after this. Uh, but we're, we're nearing towards the, the end of this book. And what we're going to be looking at today is uh, four different events in the life of David that, that show him suffering. Four places, four events where David suffers for following God. And we're going to look at how those things point us to Jesus, but ultimately what we're also going to see is that from those things that give us an example of how it is that we are to suffer in the following of Jesus, okay? Uh, and so that's where we are. Before we get too far along, though, I'm going to stop, I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to stop trying to avoid pain. I pray that we would see you as bigger. I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to understand that you are a big, big God. And that in following after you, we should not be afraid of anything that we might encounter. That we would fear you and you alone. I pray that we as a church would grow in boldness and in strength and in dependency upon your spirit living in us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as I said, we're going to be looking at four different events between chapter 21 and uh, uh, chapter 23. And uh, just to pick up where we left off last week, um, what we saw is that here is King Saul. He has been anointed king over Israel, and uh, he rejected God. So God rejected him. And so God chooses another person, David, this, this youth, this young guy to replace Saul. He's going to be the future king of Israel. Now, the, the, the thing is, is that God didn't raise David up in order to send him out and to destroy Saul. Uh, David's purpose isn't to remove Saul from the throne. It isn't to overthrow him. It, it is instead he is being sent to serve Saul. God will take care of Saul. God will remove Saul from the, the, from the throne when it is his time to do so. But in the meantime, David is set to serve Saul. And what we see here is that, um, that David or Saul becomes, to get, becomes paranoid. He, he looks at, at, at David and he thinks that David is out to get him. He, he's out to hurt him. And so uh, David's going to be proactive and he, or Saul is going to be proactive. And he's going to try to kill David first. And so we, where we left off last week is that David now goes on the run. He goes on the run. And for years he will be running. And he will be hiding out in caves and he will be hiding out in wildernesses and in forests and cities and towns and wherever he can find shelter, David will be on the run and he will be homeless for that time. Interestingly enough, Jesus in Luke 9 said, the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he says this to someone who says, hey, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. And what Jesus essentially says to him, are you sure? Because I'm homeless. Are you sure you want to follow me? The, the reality is, is that, that if we are to follow Jesus, we need to learn to begin to take our pry off of this world. 
to begin to let go of our ideas of place and home and permanence and begin to follow Jesus, leaving the rest of it behind. And so uh, we pick up the story, Luke, or I'm sorry, um, 1 Samuel 21, uh, verse 10. As I said, there's four events that we're going to look at. We're not going to go in order. Um, the first event is kind of broken up into two pieces, and so we'll come back to that at the end. So we're going to pick it up in 21.10, and what has ha- just happened is that David is, has been fed by a priest at a place called Nob, and he's been given the sword of Goliath, and now he's on the run again. And David arose and fled that day from Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, this is crazy, right? Some of you guys are like, yeah, this is crazy. This is wild. Uh, This is crazy. Here's why this is crazy. Uh, Gath is a Philistine city. It's not an Israelite city. This is is a place that that belongs to the Philistines, the arch enemy of Israel. And David is going to run from Saul, and he's going to try to hide out in a Philistine city. Crazier than that. I know. Hold on. Crazier than that. It's Goliath's hometown. Goliath's hometown, the guy that David killed with a stone and then chopped off his head with his own sword. It led to this great military victory. It led to these songs being sung about how Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Like, this is a huge event. And, And David kills Goliath, and now he's trying to hide out in Goliath's hometown. It's crazy. Well, he's discovered. And he's brought into the king of, of, of Gath, and he decides that in order to escape, he's going to act crazy. He starts drooling all over himself. He starts scratching on the wall. He starts having all this erratic behavior so that the, the king of, of Gath says, I've got enough crazy people around me. Get this guy out of here. And he's delivered. He's saved by acting crazy. Now, w- with each one of these events that we're going to look at, we're going to see a psalm that comes out of them. And, and from Gath, the Psalm 56 was written. And in it, David writes this, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. You hear David lamenting. I'm being trampled upon. Everywhere I go, I can't escape trouble. Enemies surround me. He's lamenting this. No. How does that point us to Jesus? Paul writes this in Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You know, as David goes to try to live amongst his enemies, so Jesus has come to live among us. Do you realize how crazy the gospel is? You think about that? The gospel is crazy. Think about that. This is, this is what we believe as Christians. Um, the, the holy, perfect, righteous God creates everything, and he creates humanity to be image bearers of him, and, and to, we're supposed to reflect what he's like, but we rebel against him. We reject him. And, and, and we essentially make God our enemy. And, and essentially what God does in response to that is he sends his son who takes on flesh, who moves into the neighborhood... He moves in with us to live among us only to live a holy, righteous, perfect life. And then he goes to the cross to give up that life on our behalf. He dies for his enemy. I mean, do you understand how crazy the gospel is that God would die for his enemies? And that's what we believe. This is crazy. But David goes to live amongst them. Jesus comes to live amongst his enemies in order to redeem us 
And you see, here's the thing. What God or what Jesus has done for you, he wants to do through you. And if we are going to follow Jesus, if we are going to embrace him as king and he is Lord, if we are going to follow Jesus, it means that we too are sent and that we too need to go. You see, some of us, we look at the prospect of what it really means to go and we're too afraid because we're too interested in maintaining safe and secure borders and walls around us protecting our lives because to go means to suffer and we inherently know that. If you will be incarnate, if you will suffer incarnationally, if you will go to the places that God has sent you, it will mean suffering. I want you to think about this for a minute. What if when it comes time for you to, to go to your next job, what if you chose your next job not based on its salary, not based on its location, not based on its benefits, but based on what job would provide you the maximum opportunity to proclaim Jesus to people who've never heard him? What if when it came time to buy that home, what if instead of looking for that home that's got the right amount of square footage, that's got the right size of closets, that's got the, 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 all the, the amenities that you're looking for, what if instead of basing or choosing to buy a home based on that, what if you chose to buy a home based on the neighborhood that it's in that you believe God might be sending you into? What if you, you approach your children's education this way, your, your children's sports activities this way? What if all of life was based on this one question, where would God send me to be on mission for him? This incarnational reality, do you realize that if, that if that's how you lived, it would be hard and you would suffer because of it. But following Jesus means suffering. Don't be surprised that well David moves on uh, the next place that he comes to is a place called Adullam it's uh, near Bethlehem it's near his hometown and uh, David's parents come out and his brothers come out to meet him apparently they are now on the run from Saul too and so there's this side trek this side journey where David takes his family and they go across uh, the other side of the Dead Sea to Moab and uh, Moab is where his great-grandmother Ruth is from, and so he leaves his family in Moab, and then he comes back to Adullam. And, and guess what he finds when he arrives back at, at Adullam? First uh, Samuel 22, verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Um, David has been playing a game of hide-and-go-seek. A lethal game of hide-and-go-seek, right? He's hiding from Saul who is seeking to kill him, right? But all of a sudden, hide-and-go-seek has changed into a game of sardines. If you don't know the game of sardines, say you're playing with 10 people and one of you goes and hides. The other nine are sent to look for you. And once they find you, they hide with you until it gets down to one person seeking and nine people hiding. And if you've ever played that game, it's really hard to hide nine people in one spot, Right? Well, all of a sudden, David is playing a game of sardines, and he's got 400 people on his doorstep. We want to hide with you. And, and what are these people like? Look at the text. People who are in distress. Read people with baggage. 
people with junk, people with stuff going on in their lives. Look what it says next, people who are in debt. In other words, they're not coming with resources, they're not coming with money, they're coming on, uh, to, to, to David, showing up on his doorstep, broke. Will you take care of us? Third thing that it says there is people who are bitter in soul. There's stuff going on in their heart. They're bitter in soul. They're they're, they're bringing all this emotional baggage with them. All of their past hurts. Everything that's going on in in life that's created this negativity in them. This is the kind of people that David gets to lead. Right? You know, when you look at, at Jesus and you look at the people that surrounded him, the people who are very, very needy come to Jesus. Right? Jesus was called the friend of sinners. And who, who surrounds him? Tax collectors and prostitutes. People who are, who are sick and who are hungry. People who have baggage and a whole bunch of needs. And what do you see with Jesus? Is he, he's opening his arms wide and he's accepting them and he's taking them. You know, it was out of this event that David would write Psalm 57 One of the lines from that psalm says this, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Do you realize he's not talking about Saul? He's talking about the very people he's now sharing a cave with. Look at that again. Look at that. I lie down amid fiery beasts whose teeth are spears and arrows. Like, in other words, he's involved in this this community of people with all of their needs, and they're not nice, and they're not polite, and they're not fun to be around all the time. They're actually real, fallen, broken people. Do you realize that if you're going to get involved in in community of God, it's a form of suffering? Do you realize that? Are you surprised by that suffering? See, some of you, are, you're not surprised by that suffering. See, some of you, you have opened yourself up to Christian community, and you have experienced firsthand the ugliness and the messiness of what happens when you get together with other people, and you find out that they've got their stuff, and they've got their issues, and they've got their idolatries, and they've got their fears, and they've got their lusts, and, and they, in turn, identify in you your fears, and your lusts, and your idolatries, and your sin, and your problems, and your junk, and all of a sudden, it's a very, very messy situation, and it can be very, very painful. And some of you might have come from relationships where people didn't handle those things right, and so people were hurt, and so you, you left those situations. And maybe those were church situations. And so maybe you're here this morning, and, and your idea this morning is that you want to come in here, and you want to hold people at arm's length. Like, you, you, you've come here this morning, not, and you, you want to do church. You don't want to be church. You don't want to engage. You don't want people to really know what you're really like because you know the pain and the suffering that comes when you are really a part of the community. When you recognize that there are people all around you who are still in process of sanctification, still becoming just like you. And it's messy and it's ugly and it's painful and it is a form of suffering, this relationships but you have not been called to follow Christ alone. You have not been called called to follow Jesus by yourself, but rather in community. 
Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That means you and that means me. We like to think that in our communal context that we're the ones that got our stuff together when the truth is is we need just as much as anybody else. There is a form of relational suffering that we will encounter if we will follow Jesus Christ in the context of community. Next, 1 Samuel 23, 1 and 2 says this, Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Uh, so uh, David turns to his 400 merry men and says, let's go save Keilah. And they say, no. Too dangerous, too risky, no thanks. Oftentimes, the community that we surround ourselves is kind of afraid of the mission that we've been called on to. So David goes back to, 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 to inquire of God, and God says, I will give them into your hand. So David brings back this promise of God to these people. He's going to give them to us. He's going to, he's going to bring them into our hands. So let's go. And so they go. And they fight against the Philistines, and they save Keilah. But it's at this point where, where David realizes, uh, I'm pretty sure Saul's got a bead on me now. With a group of people this big and with a victory that's just happened and saving this, this city from the Philistines, I'm pretty sure Saul knows where I'm at. And so he, he inquires of God again. If Saul comes... Will the citizens of Keilah give me up? Will they betray me? And God says, yes, they will. And so in verse 13 of chapter 23, it says, Then David and his men were about 600 arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. His numbers increased. And it's even harder to hide this amount of people. So they go into the wilderness of Ziph. It's a large territory within the region of Judah. It's inhabited by David's own people of the tribe of Judah. The Ziphites were of the tribe of Judah just like David was. But the Ziphites decide to sell him out. And they go to Saul and they say, we know where David is. And so Saul begins to pursue him. And at the end of chapter 23, what we discover is that God has sort of deviated Saul's path. Uh, some Philistines are attacking um, another region of the country and so he has to go and fight them and so David is given an opportunity to escape once again and God delivers him. But you see, that David experienced that people that God actually sent him to save were the very people that would betray him. Who knew this better than Jesus? Of all the people that would come out to Jesus and have their needs met by Jesus, who said that they loved and would follow Jesus. And you think about that Sunday before uh, Good Friday, that, that Sunday where, where he comes into Jerusalem riding on this donkey. And people are putting out their coats and the palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna. They're talking about the, this language of, of kingship, this language of glory and they're attributing it to him. And yet a few days later, there Jesus is standing by himself before Pilate. And if those people are there, their tune is very different and now it's not Hosanna, now it's crucify him. Judas, one of his own disciples, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied him three times. Every other disciple dispersed upon him being arrested so that he was completely and utterly alone. The people that he came to save betrayed and abandoned him. Do you know 
that if you follow Jesus, that will happen. Do you know that when you're in these relationships with people, and you identify sin areas in their life, and lovingly you see them headed towards a, a bad road, and you want to stop them, you want to pull them back, and you confront them on their sin as lovingly as you possibly can, that oftentimes their response to you is anger, and they want to lash out to you, and they want to hurt you. The very people that, that, you, that we, we go to with, with the gospel, with the love of Christ in order to share with them, in order to help them, in order to not save like Jesus saves, but, but to save them in a way that points to Jesus. And their response is anger and retribution and betrayal. The biggest hurts in my life come from people within the church. People that I've tried to help, that have lashed out in anger. That is the reality, that if you will follow Jesus, you will suffer. The last story to look at this morning, to go back to the beginning of chapter 21. Before I move on, though, I want to say this. Uh, the psalm that comes out of, of that passage is Psalm 54. David wrote this, Strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before them. Can you hear the lament in David's voice? That following after God, going and saving the very people he was sent to save, he was betrayed. So was Jesus. So were we. But going back the beginning of chapter 21, the story goes that David, he's just left the presence of Joshua. This is before he has the 600 or the 400 men. Maybe he has a handful of men with him. But he leaves the presence of Joshua, or, uh, yeah, Joshua is, is, is uh, Jonathan, his friend, and uh, he's out on his own, and he goes to Nob. Nob is the new city where the tabernacle's been moved to. It was once in Shiloh at the beginning of 1 Samuel. That place is somewhere along the way was destroyed. It's moved to Nob, and all the priests of the Lord are there. And he finds himself in Nob, and he finds himself hungry and defenseless. And he encounters Ahimelech, the priest. And so he goes to Ahimelech, the priest, and he says, will you give me food to eat? And Ahimelech says, the only food I have on hand is, is the bread of the presence. It's holy bread. This is bread that was not meant for normal people to eat. So every day, uh, the priest would bake 12 loaves of this bread, and they would bring it into the tabernacle, and they'd set it before the Lord, and they would take 12 loaves that were baked the previous day out. And they would get to eat that bread. But this was part of the, the, the priestly uh, portion. This is part of what they got for serving the Lord. You see, they didn't get land. They didn't get inheritance in the territory of Israel. They, they got worship of the Lord. And so this bread, it belonged to Ahimelech. It belonged to his fellow priests. And yet here before him is David, and he's, he's hungry. And Homelech recognizes that there's something greater going on here. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So he gives uh, David these five loaves of bread that he asks for. He gives him the sword of Goliath that he goes on to Gath with. But there's uh, a, a, somebody who sees all this, uh, a guy named Doeg. He's, he's there. He's, he's, uh, he's a Gentile. But he works for Saul, and he sees Elimelech give David bread and give him the sword, and, and so uh, Doeg witnesses this. And in the very next chapter, chapter 22, we see Saul, and he's sitting under a tree, and he's complaining to his leaders that everybody's out to get him. 
Nobody supports me. Nobody cares about me. My own family is not helping me kill David. You guys aren't helping me kill David. And he's, he's, he's crying. He's whining about this. And there's Doeg. And Doeg raises his hand and says, you know who else isn't helping you? The priests of the Lord. I was there when David went to the priests of the Lord and they fed him and they armed him and they even inquired of God for them. And Saul says, well, bring me the priests of the Lord. Some 85 priests come to where Saul is. And he questions Ahimelech. And Ahimelech doesn't understand. Like, David's your son-in-law, king. Like, he saved us. He beat Goliath. Like, he's won all these military victories for us. Like, I've helped him out before. Like, why wouldn't I help him now? And so Saul, in a rage, orders the death of all of these priests. And nobody will do it except Doeg. That day he kills 85 priests. And then he goes to their hometown and he kills their wives and their children. And all of this is approved of by Saul. Do you see what kind of man Saul has become? Where at one time he was ordered by God and, and, and told to destroy a certain enemy of God's and he wouldn't, but now he's willing to destroy the very priests of God. Jesus um, was walking through a field one day with his disciples and it's the Sabbath day and he's picking heads of grain and they're eating them. And some Pharisees, some religious leaders see what they're doing and they say, how dare you do what's unlawful on the Sabbath day? You're not supposed to be harvesting on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, well, haven't, haven't you heard of what happened with David? Didn't you, didn't you know how David went into the tabernacle and how uh, he was fed the priestly bread, the, the bread of the presence, the holy bread that it wasn't supposed to eat? Don't you remember that story? You see, if you would have understood that God desires mercy more than he desires sacrifice, if you would have understood that, then you would have understood that story and you would understand what I'm doing now. If you understood the heart of God, the greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all of your heart. If you understood that we're called to love our neighbor, if you understood the mercy that is happening in front of you and the love of God that's on display for you, and if you made that the priority over your rules, if you understood that, but you don't. And the very next Sabbath, Jesus is, is in a synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand there and he calls the man up and he looks at these, these Pharisees and he says, is it right for me to do harm or to do good? Is it right for me to heal or to hurt? To give life or to destroy life? And they're silent. And Jesus heals that man. And from then on out, they begin to plot a way to destroy Jesus, to kill him. Do you realize that like a Ahimelech, Ahimelech if you will go and follow Jesus in being merciful, if you will go and put on the display the love of God for others, if you know, if you will have the heart of God that there will be people, even religious, pious people, who will hurt you and abuse you and you will suffer for being merciful. You put all these things together. By the way, the, the psalm that comes out of that Psalm 52, I'll read just part of it. It says, what, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour. Paul, or David there, is, is accusing Saul of his true heart and his true nature. And we see the suffering, the suffering that happens to Elimelech, to 85 priests, and to all of their families. 
Only one escapes, Abiathar, and he follows David, and he's actually with David for the rest of his life. But do you see, to dispense mercy ultimately ends for Elimelech being murdered. That for Jesus, who comes to ultimately dispense mercy, that there at the cross, he stands there and he absorbs the wrath of God that we should get, and he dispenses to us mercy. He dies for that cause. And if you will pick up your cross, and if you will follow him, and if you will go to dispense mercy into the world, it will cause your suffering. You see that? Are you surprised by that? Are you surprised at the cost of following Jesus? I'm going to go back to those Psalms. From the, the story of Gath, David wrote Psalm 34, and, and part of that Psalm says this I sought the Lord, and he answered me, delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What do you think about that? These are words that come out of a time of suffering. David followed God, and it led to intense suffering, and we see the words of lament from these psalms, but right alongside those words of suffering, we see these words, taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul talks about suffering, rejoicing in suffering. Do you see David able to rejoice in suffering? Because through suffering, he has been able to taste and see the goodness of God. He has been able to experience God on a level that he's never experienced before because he suffered for him. From from, uh, Psalm 57, from the cave of Adullam, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O, God, o Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. You see, if you will get involved if you will follow Jesus into community, if you will get to know one another and do life with one another and, and bear one another's burdens and, and put up with one another, you will suffer for that. But in the process of that, you will experience the steadfast love of the Lord and you will experience the faithfulness of God through those relationships. And you could avoid the pain and suffering that comes from those relationships, but you will also avoid the faithfulness that you would have discovered from Keilah and from Ziph, Psalm 54. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will turn the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them, for he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked on triumph on, on my enemies. You know, you can avoid the suffering that comes from bringing the gospel. You can avoid the suffering that comes from, from confronting in the truth in love people's sin. You can avoid the suffering that ensues when people invariably will, will, will be, betray you and will reject you and, and curse you. You, you, can, you can avoid that suffering by just not getting involved. But in the process of that, you will also avoid experiencing true justice and true love, true grace of God. And lastly, 
from the story of Elimelech 52, Psalm 52. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Talking about Saul. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. Even though evil has happened, even though all of these priests were wiped out and destroyed in one day, even all of this happened, David is able to say, I trust in the steadfast love of of God forever. That you can experience that kind of pain and that kind of hardship and that kind of suffering and walk away saying, I trust in the steadfast love of the Lord forever. You see, this, this joy in suffering that David was able to have You know that Hebrews says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's been given all power and all authority, and it belongs to him. And spiritually speaking, if you are in Christ, then you are seated with Christ, according to Ephesians. And one day, physically, that will become a complete reality for you. And one day, you will understand that glory, and you will be exalted like that. As he was exalted, so you will be exalted. But for now, for a period of time, are you surprised by suffering? See, Christians, we spend a lot of time avoiding it. We avoid going, and we like to hide in our Christian bubbles. We avoid community by never really allowing people to get to know us and never getting to know other people. We have superficial, inch-thick relationships with others because we're avoiding suffering. We avoid giving mercy and demonstrating true love that is costly to us because we avoid suffering. We are avoiding following Jesus. If you're not experiencing suffering, it's not because you don't live in Afghanistan. It's because you're not following Jesus. You're not putting yourself out there. You're not going into dangerous places and you're not loving messy people and you're not dispensing mercy. I'll close with this. When we look at books of First and Second Samuel, in the Hebrew, it's actually one book. It's one book. And uh, partway through what we call Second Samuel, uh, David is finally anointed king. He's finally, what you could say, glorified. Right? What the interesting thing about that is that, is that after he's made king, there's 20 chapters of Samuel that talk about his kingship. 20 chapters. But the cool thing about it is, is that there's also 20 chapters dedicated to David before he becomes king. It seems to the author of First and Second Samuel that just as important as his glory, just as, as important as him sitting on the throne, it's just as important as the suffering that he went through, as the hardship that he experienced that mold him and shape him into the king that God wanted him to be. And out of this intense, difficult experience come all of these psalms 
And yes, psalms of a lament, but at the same time, psalms of triumph and psalms of joy and psalms that that point to the fact that David would not have had it another way, that David would not have given up the suffering and wanted to take a shortcut to the glory, that he would not have done that. And the reality is, is for you and I as Christians, if we are to follow Jesus, there is life in the suffering. There is joy in the pain. There is riches and wealth and experiencing hardship because it's not for us, it's for him and the one who will be glorified forever because it's about him and that is what matters. Do you see what we get to be a part of? Suffering for the sake of suffering is meaningless, but suffering for the glory of God, that's eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the examples that you give. Thank you for the the ways that you point us to Jesus. Thank you for the ways that you call out to us to follow you. That we serve a God who went first. We serve a God who, who, who suffered first. We serve a God who bore the burdens of other people first, that he demonstrated mercy first. We serve a God that you led the way in all of this. And you've called us to follow you and take away our fear and take away our surprise and replace it with joy and zeal and boldness and power and strength that comes from your spirit. Oh God, that we would be a church unafraid to go, unafraid to get messy, unafraid to love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.